Welcome to the Wheels Up Podcast, the resource to help business, executive, and VIP travelers stay safe on the ground and in the air. Join Executive Protection and Travel Security Specialist Troy Clayton as he shares tips on how to give yourself or those in your care a safe journey, no matter where your travels take you. Welcome back to the Wheels Up Podcast, the only podcast out there specifically designed for you, our listener. Whether you're a corporate high flyer, a person of influence, or a security industry professional wanting to know more about what's on offer and what's available in some of the specialist fields. We cover topics relating to travel safety and security, executive protection, corporate security, international risk assessments, country briefs, and health and well-being. We have expert guests from across the security, defense, and consulting sectors. I'm your host, Troy Clayton from Panoptic Solutions. And before we get into it, don't forget to go to iTunes or your podcast platform, give us a rating and leave a comment. The more stars, the easier it is for our followers to find us. And the more comments that you provide us with, it helps us better understand what it is you want to hear. Now let's get straight into it. So today's podcast, I'm joined by a guest who we here at Panoptic Solutions have had the, uh, the privilege in, in, of working with uh, on previous tasks, uh, where he supported us in the capacity of a team leader for, for one of our clients. I'm joined by Russ Price uh, by the, or of the newly established Red Phoenix Security. Russ, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, good morning, Troy. Thanks for inviting me, mate. No worries. No sweat. Mate, um, I'm stoked to have the chance to, to have you here on the podcast. Um, as I've said, uh, Russ has worked with us in the past. And just a, a quick introduction of uh, Russ's background. So Russ has been in the security industry for 23 years. Uh, he's, a, uh, well, he's also been in martial arts space for 40 years. Uh, yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, recently introduced into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame in 2015, I believe. Um, That's correct. And mate, you've been a stunt actor, well, you've been in the stunt actor industry for 29 years, a former British Royal Marine where you served 10 years. That's and, correct, yep. yeah. In fact, Russ, mate, you've worked with some of the greats uh, in martial arts as well, haven't you? Some, uh, including Jackie Chan. Yeah, there's some, there's some big names in there, yeah. Yeah, mate, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's, it's yeah. one of the fascinating parts of your career that I'm pretty keen to, to touch on. Um, yeah. Um, We'll delve into that in a minute, but we'll, we'll probably start with your security career. Mate, did I, did I kind of hit most of your bio there? Mate, that was uh, on the button. I was quite impressed, actually. I couldn't have put it better myself, to be honest, Troy. That was good, mate. Yeah, sweet, sweet. It's always good to have your, uh, your whole career just put down into a couple of... Uh, <laughs> I could never do that. But anyway, you're very good at that, mate. So well done. Yeah, compliments. So, mate, what have you been up to? I understand you've, um, you've been out and about doing a bit of travel as well. Uh, yes, mate. Yeah, look, as you're, as you're very well aware, mate, in our profession, it's kind of a drop everything last minute sometimes. I mean, we're not, we don't have the, uh, the luxury of sometimes being able to know um, two weeks or three weeks down the line what we're going to be doing. So, yeah, it's been very much a um, yeah, on-the-fly kind of thing for me as of late. So um, I've been all over the place, really. I've been in Hong Kong for a, few, for a few things. Japan I just came back from and, uh, yeah, some stuff domestically as well as you know, a few things internationally, but, you know, that's the profession. you got to love living out of a suitcase, eh? Oh, mate, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing better, is there? It's good yeah. to get back home and just unpack the suitcase, but that's sometimes it. you never get the chance to. That's sometimes it. it's back in there again and you're out the door. So just Leave it at the end of the doorway there. 
You got it. Yeah. So, mate, um, I'm pretty keen to delve into your career as a stunt career, but um, let's, let's start with your martial arts background. Uh, as I said, you, you've been intro, uh, intro, uh, inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Um, That's I correct, yeah. I believe you're a six-damn black belt in karate. Is there a particular style that you, you study or practice? Yeah, look, that particular style is uh, the style that I first started off with when I was a young tacker. So I was about 12, 13 years of age when I started. Yep. So that style is called Shotokan Karate. Yep. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty much well-known style, one of the most oldest traditional styles of karate uh, that uh, Japan has. I mean, you hear a lot of it now, but um, obviously things have changed over the years. I class myself as a bit of a dinosaur these days. It's not so much... Uh, <laughs> hard school anymore but yeah i won't delve into that that might be another podcast somewhere down the track but um yeah i started when i was 12 13 years of age in uh my hometown which was cardiff in south wales in the uk um you know around that time um obviously you know i was brought up in very lower uh, middle class family you know we didn't have that much money so basically i was at the door relatively early um earning money with all corns working on building sites, paper rounds, just so I could afford to go to training. So, um, I've been doing, absolutely mate. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that's been my path really since I was 12 or 13, but the pugilism side of things, I think with the martial arts side of things for myself, um, comes very much from my mother's side of the family. I mean, she's one of 14 children. You probably hear that a lot in that kind of generation, but, um, most of my uncles were all Commonwealth boxing champions. So in their own rights, they were um, very well adapted at uh, looking after themselves. So it was pretty much a given. Um, I was either going to be a boxer or uh, I was going into the martial arts side of things. Um, boxing didn't really do it for me as much as I enjoy watching boxing. Uh, nothing kind of uh, was uh, as attractive as getting punched in the head. So I thought it would probably be better just to... <laughs> Just to kick him below the belt and run, you know. So that was my um, yeah. that was my kind of path that I took. And Bruce Lee was massive around that era too. So yeah, you know, it just goes on and on. So that was pretty much where that love for the uh, for the other uh, fighting arts came from. Really, it sounds like you, uh, you were born with it, and basically born with it, with you know generations of fighters and whatnot. So that's exactly right. Yeah, and I think you know I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's quite a few other people who probably attest to exactly the same thing. So yeah, very blessed actually. Um, as much as it's come some hard knocks and it's been just as much as pain, sweat and tears, it certainly has been. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. If I was ever go back and, and, and do it all over again, I'd, I'd absolutely 100% categorically say yes. So, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously, um, it, I mean, it's quite, quite an achievement just to get to your black belt, uh, let alone get to your sixth stand, but then to be inducted into the martial arts uh, hall of fame. How did that come about? And, and I mean, how how did you find out and how was that moment when you did find out? Oh, well, look, mate, there's, that's, yeah, mate, that was just absolutely. One of the instructors who, uh, during my time traveling around the world, I was based in Hong Kong for about five or six years. And um, one of the instructors who I was under was a gentleman by the name of Hirokazu Kanazawa. He's classed probably one of the three major gods of karate in, uh, in Japan. I was under his tutelage for, for quite some time. So almost second and third and fourth, fifth and sixth then through, through uh, Hirokazu Kanazawa. Yep. Um, I don't think there was that many Westerners around that time who um, had actually given so much uh, as far as Shotokan Karate was concerned. And based on my um, years of just probably giving back to Shotokan Karate, what I've uh, basically drawn out of that style, um, uh, I got on. I got to know him very, very well, and his son very well. So, 
he invited me over to Japan and uh, one thing led to another. And uh, before you knew it, probably about three or four years later, I received a letter saying that they, uh, he'd actually uh, put me forward for um, the induction. So um, that basically meant me going to Japan and um, being inducted with himself and a few of the uh, well-known karate cars, for want of a better word, um, where I got to put my fists into concrete and uh, in kanji my name, and there I was officially inducted into the World Martial Art Hall of Fame. So That's pretty uh, impressive. It was very impressive, uh, very humbled, of course, um, yeah, yeah and, and, and stoked. So, you know, we all have those moments. We go, oh, look, I, you know, there's plenty of other guys who have. But anyway, as my wife always tells me, just suck it up and um, <laughs> you know, this is what you enjoy. This is what you is. deserve. Yeah. Enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, That's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. very, uh, very, very humbled indeed. That's great, mate. Uh, what, was there any other styles that you studied along the way or is it mainly you, you stuck with that one? Uh, no, taekwondo, definitely. Uh, I, I did uh, a lot of taekwondo during that time. I was very flexible for my age, so that was a natural progression. Yep. Uh, Shadow and karate is very low. Um, they don't really concentrate too much on the high kicks, but I found something really spectacular about taekwondo, which I threw myself into. Hmm. Hapkido was another one. Aikido, yep. kendo, and uh, jiu-jitsu. Yeah, okay. so I tend to dabble with quite a bit of it, so it was uh, pretty good. Yeah. Fairly well-rounded. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Look after so myself. Well, I mean, other than obviously the fighting side of it, you know, what, what do you think, what do you feel that the martial arts has sort of assisted in, in shaping your life or what, what has it brought for you? Oh, I think um, the most important thing um, with martial arts, and I think um, was the concentration factor, the focus and um, that ability more than anything else to know exactly who you are as a person. Um, I think we're defined by our weaknesses and our strengths. And I think, uh, the martial arts taught me that, not just on the physical side of things, but also on the spiritual side of things as well. And so I know it sounds pretty cheesy, but I think the spiritual side of things encompasses a whole lot of things, just who we are as people and, um, you know, where do we see ourselves moving forward as a human being? Yeah. And, you know, and basically what have we got to contribute to society? So um, I, I felt that was really important. That's what I've drawn out of that, um, as well as knowing your limits. I think every man needs to know his limitations as well as every woman. Yeah. And um, that's that's definitely brought the best out of me and the worst out of me, absolutely. Oh. And what about your career choices? Do you think that it's assisted in in uh, your career choices or your career path? Um, absolutely. Well, I, I suppose with the security industry, it's um, it's absolutely made me more of a focused person. I'm a lot more confident as a human being, and um, yeah, I think that exudes. And I think if you're exuding confidence as a human being, I think that. Um, yeah, that does tend to resonate. Away, it? it does. It resonates. It resonates with future employers. It resonates with your team. It resonates with everybody. And I think um, if you can come across as that person as a sign of confidence um, in a team kind of scenario, I think that, um, yeah, that helps. That helps an enormous, helps yeah. in an enormous way. Yeah. It's funny you sort of mentioned that. I think that um, that whole confidence as well, it, it has the ability to lift a team. You know, you can go into uh, a team that are sort of a little bit unsure about a <laughs> few things and whatever else. Uh, you go in there with that confidence and all of a sudden the, the whole dynamic changes, the whole mood of that team changes. And now whether absolutely, that's... Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And there's always got to be that one guy in the team, you know, even serving in the military, and this is something that you could attest to too, Troy, is there always has to be that one guy who just when the shit hits the fan, he's either laughing or cracking jokes or just <laughs> exudes that confidence. He is that guy, you know, and I... I've always felt I've always been that person. So, yeah. but you know, it's 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 something that's uh, 
carried me forward and carried um, carried other people, and and that's what's really made me quite um, humble as a person to be able to do that. And I think that's a really really good character trait of myself to be able to, you know, laugh in the face of adversity. Sometimes, however bad it can get, you know, yeah. you're not getting shot at, you're not getting run over, so you know, it can't be that bad. Yeah, it can always be colder. Can always be wetter. Always be colder, mate. You got it. You got it. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, there was almost a natural progression from martial arts into the stunt world. Is that is is that correct, or or how did that? Um, I, I, yeah, look, that all came about. It's um, I was uh, in Hong Kong at one given moment in time, and I won't go into too much detail because we'll be here for for God knows how long. But um, I was um, headhunted through a security company in Hong Kong at the time. I was working. Um, as a director of corporate security for a, um, a telecommunications company. Yeah. Um, there was a young lady who I'd met in certain circles, a lady by the name of Kim Marie Penn, who some Australians might know or may not know. She was um, an undefeated uh, women's uh, karate kumite champion. Okay. Um, she has a security company in Hong Kong called Signal A Security. Um, you, you may know of that company, Troy. Yeah. Um, but she also dabbled in the um, movie industry. So she was quite well known there. Um, but cut a long story short, I was um, invited to go along with her to meet her casting agent um, based on my martial art background and based on those gorgeous looks that I had back then, Troy. <laughs> the, um, the long flowing hair. You got it, mate. You got it. I, um, I, was, I was asked to audition for um, a Jet Li film, which was called Black Mask. Yep. Um, 1996 i believe it was um so based from that um and you know and as much as i could say it's not what you know it's who you know it's very much the same and i don't care what profession you're in but it was very much the case for me um through kim i was um, invited to and um two weeks later i was on a set in hong kong working uh, 12 hour um 12 hour shifts so from six in the until six in the morning basically um being thrown around bulldovers and being thrown around ruins of old uh, apartment blocks in Hong Kong and um, ended up having uh, one of the most coolest fight scenes, I think, with, with Jet Li at the, uh, at, at, at the finale of the film. So, um, and my career rocketed on from there. So um, I got another singer band, which was the Jackie Chan stunt team. There's a couple of guys that were working on that too. Yeah, and the rest is kind of history. So um, kind of went on from there. So I think more than anything else, it's, the familiar faces, I think once they see a face, they kind of pick up the phone and go, who was that guy on that movie set? Then, you know, that's pretty much how it all uh, rocked and rolled back in the day. But things have come on leaps and bounds since then. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, my impression from Jackie Chan is that, you know, only what I see on TV and, and some of the outtakes is that he's a bit of a joker. Is that, is that the case that you've experienced? Or? He, is, um, he is your consummate practical joker. He definitely is. But one of the most harding workers working guys in the industry. I mean, not just from martial arts, um, but behind the scenes too. There's been many occasions where um, Jackie sent everybody off for a feed and he'll, he'll be on set with just the broom, just just cleaning the setup or wow. checking the cameras for the next take. He's a hands-on guy and I don't think anybody has got a bad word to say about Jackie and I mean that sincerely. He's the most nicest guy you'll ever meet. Yeah. He's, he's hands-on at all levels, eh? Hands on at all levels, yeah. Truly, truly marvellous gentleman. And, uh, yeah, actually I'm very blessed to have had the opportunity to work with uh, an icon as Jackie Chan, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. There's not too many people that can say that. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, working as a stuntman, you know, were you dabbling in the security space as well at the same time? Like, um, were you Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To the stunt, to, to the actors at the same time? Or how did that also come about? Yeah, yeah, good, good, uh, good question, Troy. Yeah, look, pretty much... Um, Obviously, being that familiar face and being on the movie sets quite a bit, and obviously with that military background, um, I kind of rolled into, um, obviously, Kim as well, um, rolled into that kind of security side of things. Um, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was the first one I ever looked after. It was during the Planet Hollywood franchise back then, back then where the action movie stars were the action movie stars. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. you know, you're rubbing shoulders with the Stallones, the Schwarzeneggers, the Patrick Swayze's. The, the Expendables, uh, basically. You got it, man. You know, and I'm probably really, probably putting my age out there a little bit now. But um, since then, those days have gone. But I think back then, um, when we talk about the bodyguard industry, I mean, a lot that the question has always arisen. Um, you know, why would somebody like you know Jean Claude Van Damme need a bodyguard, or why would Arnold Schwarzenegger need a bodyguard? These guys are so big; they're huge. Yep. And so, look, you know, that's we're the buffer between them and the general public because you know, for obvious reasons, as you're aware, Tro- Troy is. You know, the minute you start getting general public, they may want to touch or, you know, shake somebody's hand and they get pushed to one side. You certainly can't have these um, court cases coming at you left, right and centre when um, that is, you know, most certainly not the case. Oh, but, oh. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's been the general answer. But, no, you know, things have come on exponentially since then. Yeah. Um, but back in, back in the day, it was um, very up and close. And, um, yeah, you know, you pretty much had to be on your toes because yeah, they were... Yeah. Uh, very well-known, well-known, loved action stars of the uh, the eighties and nineties. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting you talk about uh, why they need uh, bodyguards and you know CPP and all that sort of stuff. Um, I saw uh, a photo that's cutting about what's the what's that big fella's name in um, the Avengers? I think it's uh, Jason Momoa. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's, yeah. this dude's huge. And he yeah. had um, you know he had a small CP team, and you know there was a, it was a bit of a meme going around, you know in comparison to them, look at the guys and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. it's exactly what you were saying is, you know, you don't want the celebrities, you don't want the stars, you don't want the client getting involved in a scuffle. You know, they, they don't need to be involved in that sort of stuff. No doubt they can take care of themselves, but it's, it's not about that, is it? It's, it's about That's exactly that, right. that level yeah. of service to them so that they, yep. um, they don't need to get involved in those things. That's exactly right. It's, it's very, very important. And as much as you see, um, the entourages these days with some of the, you know, the Biebers and everything else, it's all very much a status thing. But uh, the practicality of it is, as you quite rightly say, um, yeah, there should be, once somebody does start getting involved, then obviously we haven't done our job properly. So, you know, we're, we're there basically as a buffer between them yep. and the general public. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you've worked obviously up in up through Asia uh, a fair bit. You mentioned Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, I, I I think you've worked up in, in Indonesia, Philippines, and China as well. Is that is that? That's correct. correct yeah. 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 So um, you know, if you were to give out some tips to travellers heading that way, you know, uh, whether it be for business or executives or vacationing or whether it be security professionals, you know, um, what what sort of tips would you give them? Uh, mate, look, this day and age, I mean, it was a lot different when I was a young fella growing up and um, coming through those countries. But now we've just got so much research out there uh, from a geographical point of view. I think it's very important to get some um, some news feeds back through from anything that might be happening in that area. I, I think more than anything else, um, because the social media and because the technology and the internet kind of scenario is just bombarded us, there is so much out there that we can kind of... Um, gain from that 
Um, I think I think for myself personally, um, being more situationally aware, and I think it's just being just as irrespective of whether we were, um, you know, planning a trip. I think what we found now, and I think you could probably concur with this, Troy, is um, we need to engage a little bit more in our surroundings. As much as the world is becoming a lot more of a dangerous place, um, being situationally aware should be just more intuitive more than anything else, you know. And I think. I don't think I'm here to blame technology, but if one of, you know, it doesn't matter where you go now, you can see people with technology in their ears completely disengaged from their surroundings. It frightens me to no extent. But that being said, I have to think back to when I was a kid, you know, and I'd be going away with um, my mum's family, which is like, you know, 14, 14 people with their children and grandchildren. It was a massive travel management logistical nightmare because... Yeah. It's travel management. You're just going on holiday with a family. But really, when you look at it, we're doing exactly the same thing then as what we should be doing now. It's just, yeah. where are we going to be from every given moment? What time are we getting in the car? What time do we arrive? You know, all of these little things. Um, yeah. But these kinds of things, I think, need to be intuitive, like a second nature. It's not a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, just rocking up on the fly and just expecting things to run normally, I'm sorry, but just doesn't work that way anymore. Absolutely. Um, Australia is becoming very much the same. It's not Australia anymore. It's, you know, we've just got to start being a little bit more situationally aware. Yeah. And um, whether that's a family holiday, I always put it down to one thing. I think a good, I think a good operative is a good chess player. You've got to be seven, maybe eight moves in front and you should yeah. be able to do that, you know, um, irrespective of um, what that situation should be. But yeah, I, I could give you the tips. I think those tips would kind of, um, elaborate a little bit more than normal i don't yep. think it's quite a one two three scenario but sure. research it just sit down and uh, and just think about it like a family holiday what would you do differently yep. um and that would probably be my tip as to travel management and looking after yourself just be in your own bodyguard more than anything else i think which is not a hard thing to do that's uh that's a good point mate you're, you're right you know be your own bodyguard or, or look after your own safety it's the situational mm. awareness i mean we've done a podcast previously about situational awareness that's exactly what yeah. you're saying mate it's just look up get your head out of your out of your phone you know yeah exactly crossing, yeah. Crossing, crossing the street with their head in their phone they're going to get hit at some stage but you know and planning it's all in the planning it really is absolutely Absolutely. Look, and Murphy is always going to be at the party, mate. You know that as well as I do. He's always going to be there. You can always try and get contingencies in for everything, but there's always going to be that one thing that may or may not happen. Um, just do the best you can. Just plan the best you can. And just, um, you know, as, as much as we are as security professionals, you know, we're dealing with ultra high net with individuals. The plan is pretty much exactly the same, whether that's from a you know, an advanced party or whether that's, you know, from residential security kind of standpoint, the things, mm. those things remain exactly the same. As if yeah. it was your own family, what would you do? Yeah. So, mate, I know you've worked, you've done training with or, or training for and, and worked with um, some external agencies, including um, the, the US uh, Secret Service, Australian DIGPRO, yep. um, yep. European Dignitary Special Protection Units. Now, how do these guys differ from each other? And, and I guess on the flip side, how are they sort of alike? Yeah, good question. Um, look, well, I would say the difference is it's horses for courses. I mean, you look at the uh, the US Secret Service, but, you know, these guys, as much as they are highly trained, like most of the other elite corps that we have, uh, the Australian AFP, the Close Protection Unit, just the same thing. But the really interesting thing about... Um, the US Secret Service is that these guys, as much as it's their um, 
their job to look after the president, the vice president, their families, and uh, all the rest of that. You know, majority of the time, they're basically dealing with criminal investigation as well. So that's counterfeiting, uh, you know, identity fraud, IT security. So these guys um, are very formalized. They're very um, trained for one specific task. I think looking after the presidents and the dignitaries of the world, it's very much an anomaly I've found. I think there's, there's other things to these guys too. Um, as much as these guys be extremely well educated, they've all got bachelor degrees. They're all, you know, this is one of the things that I think a lot of people don't tend to realize is these guys are extremely high educated people who, um, who have gone down this task. Um, as far as, you know, the, the British and the European, the, the, exactly the same thing. It's, um, I, th- I found them to be a little bit more all-rounded. And what do I mean by that? I think if I was just, you know, and again, I'm using the Secret Service as an example. I think uh, the U.S. Secret Service, they're basically working as an entourage. There's not much else that they're kind of outside of doing apart from looking for that one principle. Whether that's domestic or international, they're all running the same kind of formula every single time. Um, I found that the uh, the European guys, as well as, you know, the Aussies, the AFP, the Close Protection Unit, as well as, you know, most of the Close Protection Units through the through the police forces here, um, they're very much working on the fly, and I think that makes you a little bit more of an all-rounded um, um, operative in that kind of scenario. I, I found that personally. Yeah. Um, I believe that they, um, they are, as, as well as they are extremely um, highly educated, I just think that they think on their feet a little bit more. I think that comes with a life skill more than anything else. I don't think you'll find that many young operatives these days. Uh, just as well rounded. I think there's a lot of life skill that comes in there and a lot of life experience too, Troy, sure. to be honest, to make you more of an all-rounded operator. So, yeah, I have mixed feelings yep. um, about them all. The, the job is, of course, the job is, you know, the job. But I think personally, um, the Aussies have a lot more to give. Um, and there's a few European factions too that I think are exactly the same. But um, okay. a lot I'm, of them I mean, are very... From what I can say, I mean, I... I you know, I have no real, this is sort of anecdotal evidence really, uh, mm. would be that, uh, you know, from the outside looking in is that specifically, I guess, the Australians compared to, I guess, the US would be a little bit less more uh, or less un- underfunded than the, our, I guess, our US counterparts as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's like I said, it's horses for courses. You look at the United States and you look at Australia. I mean, I think there's a lot more going on in the United States and I don't want to mention the gun issues, but obviously, you know, that's, that's more of a heightened awareness mm-hmm. um, when you talk about all of that. So, yeah, I, I think uh, from, a, from a training perspective, you know, can you imagine being a cop on the beat there, man? You know, just, you know, well, as, I think as much it's as you... probably one of the toughest jobs going around, for sure. A cop Abs- in, in absolutely. US, whether, it be, you know, whether it be Secret Service, State Police, you know, troopers or whatever. <laughs> I, yeah, I exactly. believe that being a cop in the US would be one of the toughest jobs going around for sure. Yeah, totally agree. So, you know, my hat's off to those guys, absolutely. And I think, um, as, you, as you quite rightly say, you know, the underfunding here for, for us as a nation, I suppose we're dealing with two different kind of um, demographics, aren't we, really, at the end of the day? Um, yeah, totally. Two different cultures uh, altogether, really, aren't we? Two different cultures, yeah. So, you know, if, I, I suppose if you went to the States and had the same kind of conversation with the everyday cop and, you know, the same kind of conversation with, uh, you know, with an Aussie cop, I mean, there's, it's night and day, isn't it? So yeah. um, should there be funding for better training? Absolutely. I, I do believe so. I don't think Australia is Australia anymore. I think uh, we will get caught with our pants down at some stage. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, it's like most things, I think things need to happen before something is actually done about the problem. I think everybody can talk about a whole range and spectrum of different things. Yeah. But um, as, as bad as that sounds, um, I, I would certainly hope not. I, I would hope they'd be more preemptive than uh, reactive. Yeah I, yeah, I think you're right. I think we need to be um, definitely more proactive uh, uh, than, than reactive. But um, I think that's sort of left to the politicians these days. Absolutely. Yeah. But let's not get oh, too political. No, let's less said about that, the better. All right, um, mate. So I've, I've mentioned in the podcast previously about, uh, in fact, we've spoken about, um, you know, uh, CPP training, uh, close personal protection training, executive protection yeah. training. Um, you know, those that have listened in will know that I've done training in, with the Australian Army and, and training uh, over in South Africa with um, the, uh, the Ronan uh, South Africa Training Academy. Now, I know yep. that you've completed formal training with the International Bodyguard Association. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm an instructor with them. Uh, the IBA is, yeah, look, is well known for many different reasons. There's people who are for it, there's people who are against it, but that's that's pretty much all cool. But I think the good thing um, about the IBA is just, um, I think it's a basic kind of hop up for people who are willing to get into the industry, but, you know, also learning the roles of the bodyguard. Yep. Um, not so much the background of the bodyguard, also that is all very important, of course, but, you know, I think... Just teaching them the basics, really, of what a bodyguard's role is or whether an executive protection operative role encompasses and giving them a bit of a foundation. I mean, you know, I see a lot of young people go in and doing those running courses and I think it's definitely... I think doing something is better than doing nothing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I've, um, as much as my formal training was with the military, yeah, this was something that, um, yeah, I decided that, that to, to follow that path later on in life. Well, it was it's funny you mentioned that. I was going to bring that up as well, the, the, the fact that you've got a military background. And I was going to start, sort of ask you, you know, how does that assist uh, in this industry? So how does that, that, that background um, in, you know, military operations and, and your service that you've done um, assist with the, com- the combined skill sets that you've got from, you know, IBA? Oh, mate, from a logistical point of view, I mean, that's just astronomical. I mean, logistics from working as a team to knowing each and everybody else's role, people's strengths, people's weaknesses, um, learning and to be able to define those two, you know, putting certain people into certain roles, I found has been um, a particular thing that I've learned from the military is, is defining that, oh. who excels more in certain roles. Who finds that a little bit more difficult, you know, and just working on people's weaknesses, but not in a not in a negative way, in a positive way. Mm. Getting the team to work as a unit, I think, um, from a, also from a logistical point of view, I found that just um, one of the key skills. I think that I've taken away from that, as well as obviously learning and being able to evolve with that as well. Yeah, great. So uh, for those listening, I'm talking to uh, Russ Price from Red Phoenix Security. And we've uh, just finished talking about his martial arts background and then we've been talking about his military background. But you mentioned that you've, um, you immigrated to Australia from the UK, from over in Wales. Uh, what age did you come across here? I think you mentioned it and I didn't write it down. Uh, 2003. 2003 is when I uh, immigrated okay. to uh, yeah, the, uh, this, this glorious country of Australia where it's yeah. always warm. I can't yeah. say that at the moment though. I'm, I think they'll probably be saying I'll be a right suck at home at the moment. I think it's like 11, 11, you know. 11 degrees, yeah. 11 yeah. degrees and they're going, man, that's summer for us. But anyway. <laughs> I was going to say they'd be saying it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, my sister listening. How, how did you find coming from the UK to Australia? What, you know, what, what was the biggest challenges you found? And, and I guess specifically within, within the security industry itself. 
Um, yeah, good question. Well, the, 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 obviously the culture. I mean, I've been here before um, on, a, on a few job orientated things and I just fell in love with the country. Just, I think like most things, I think a lot of people need that space environmentally as well as, as mentally. I found that the UK um, was becoming very crowded. You know, I, I use that term as being, you know, if you're going to put a dog in the corner, eventually it's going to bark and bite, you know. I uh, just found it became very, very crowded and being in Australia and having the expanse and, um, and, and knowing the people here was a bit of a no-brainer for me to, to move here. Oh. From a security perspective, again, night and day, um, 2003, it was very relaxed um, uh, kind of um, mind thought on the security industry here. Um, Great Britain, completely different. I think it's probably because of the demographic as well. Um, there was a lot happening in the UK at the time. Um, you know, they still really haven't come back from a lot of the stuff that happened with the IRA back in the day. So they're pretty very flippant as about their attitude towards terrorism and their attitude towards um, any kind of threat. So they're kind of used to it. They're kind of um, they're used to those threats. They're used to that kind of um, environment. Uh, as sad as that may sound so nothing tended to phase them too much whereas australia it was mate it didn't really matter too much you know it's uh, nothing much happens here mate and it was just that whole mindset for me was um yeah took a took quite a bit of getting used to yeah. so um that that whole but that more you'll be right mate type attitude yeah exactly and um i think i found that that um that is changing it's it's yeah. a slow change but it is changing um you know, we can't go carrying on that way now because of, uh, you know, obviously those um, different threats that we're finding uh, are happening day to day at the moment, So, um, which you're fully aware of. But, uh, yeah, that was the big thing for me back then, Troy, 2003, was just the, was the culture change more than anything else. Yeah. And um, the security industry was exactly the same, yeah. I would certainly say that the, the industry has changed somewhat um, with that attitude. I think it's, it, like you said, it, is, it has been a slow change. Uh, I think society in general is starting to become a little bit more aware of the, the security issues that go on. Probably not to the same point as what you were saying with, um, I guess, the UK or the um, or, or Great Britain, uh, because of that exact reason what you were talking about. You know, they've they've had that threat, the previous threat in the eighties and of uh, the seventies and eighties of uh, the IRA. Um, but obviously, you know, of 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 late, you know, they had seven seven, and then um, they've uh, had the, the recent terror attacks over there. Um, uh, was it Tower of London? Um, That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So Glenfelt, yeah. Glenfelt, yeah. So look, it, it keeps rearing its ugly head. The world's world's changed considerably. Uh, I think Australia yeah. has been slow on the uptake, but certainly, I think that um, they are starting to come around. I mean, there's been quite a few terror um, terror plots that have been thwarted over here. Um, uh, which we don't always hear about, but um, I do know that our intelligence services are on top of it. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think at the end of the day, it's um, we, we can't become tolerant of intolerance. I think it, it's getting to the stage now where uh, it's time to draw the line in the sand. I mean, it's um, you know these things yeah. do have to stop, and uh, hopefully procedures will be put in place by our glorious politicians, and hopefully they'll do the right thing. Yeah, for sure. So, setting on, uh, moving on to a bit of a, a lighter topic. Um, I know, mate, that you're a you're a big healthy body, healthy mind, uh, healthy lifestyle sort of person. Um, yes. You know that, and that flows on, I guess, a lot from your, your martial arts that you've done. But um, 
you've got your own gym, your own dojo, and, and sort of camp up on the Sunshine Coast there in, in, in you know, the beautiful area uh, up there in um, sunny coast of Queensland uh, yep. here in Australia. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Camp Black was basically something that, um, yeah, obviously Camp Black. Black, I live in a place called Black Mountain, which is just in hinterland, uh, just in from uh, Noosa. So we thought that'd be a really bit of a catchy name. Yep. Um, Camp Black for us is somewhere where we um, we run core training sessions. We also run um, training sessions for law enforcement personnel, um, also for emergency services personnel. And why do we do that? We've got beautiful eight acres here, and I think it's important for those guys who are basically um, training their given profession. It, it keeps them out of the public eye. They can come here. We can put a feed on for them. They can stay here if they wish. They can go through their own training, um, whatever that is. We've got assault courses here. We've got hill runs, um, fully catered gym here too, as well as recovery, sauna, and uh, massages, as well as uh, the gorgeous cooking from my wife. So we can put a feed on for the guys. I do a lot of stuff up here too for um, uh, for the veterans. So I think it's also important too, going off with different subjects, important that these guys get to their bottom of their kind of stuff in a physical way. And it gives them the opportunity to chat about their stuff too. I mean, I've, I've found that most of these guys just tend to bottle themselves up and, you know, everything that we're dealing with, with the depression and the anxiety and a lot of suicides going on with our vets at the moment, serving and non-serving. Yep. Um, I found it a good kind of avenue for them to kind of sit down and have a few beers too. We do do that here. It's not all about just keeping fit. It's a good about, you know, well-being and healthy mind, healthy body, but it's having a few pizzas and talking about stuff and um, doing that too in a beautiful environment. Wow. So, um, yeah, I found that that's, uh, that's helped heaps. Um, but for myself personally, I found it for a lot of people that this is also my anchor. My physical fitness is my anchor. So if I'm in a really bad day, yeah. um, being in the gym and, get, you know, throwing some iron around always tends to help. So, Yep. Yep. No, good stuff, mate. Um, and, and so if I was a corporate traveler, uh, caught up in everyday stress and, you know, fast paced life and whatnot, you know, is, is that camp suitable for me? And how would, how would I go? About oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, you know, I'm, I'm, we're online, uh, You Get on there. It shows you everything that we actually do here. Beautiful. Um, as a corporate couple, a corporate person, I mean, there's plenty of things you can do here just to chill out and just have a sauna and a, and, uh, a spa, you know, um, come and grab some breakfast or a coffee and, uh, and disappear or stay for a day or two days and uh, have some fun and relax. Yeah. Uh, Life's too stressy. Yeah, no, no kidding, mate. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world up there. Now, I know that you've had um, some VIPs up that way. Are we able to talk about that at all? Or? Uh, yeah, we can. We've had uh, Hugh Jackman up here with his wife on a few occasions. We've had uh, Matthew McConaughey. He's been here. Yep. Um, and as, as you're aware, it tends to get a bit of a nightmare when you start getting PAs and uh, people like that sort of involved in the mix. There's too many spin doctors involved with these people. Yeah. Clients, yeah. movie stars, doesn't really matter. So plenty of Pretty much. So I've got a, um, we've got a lovely little contract with some local guys here have their own helicopter firm so we can get them picked up from wherever they are and we just fly them in Perfect. so they can land here on the hill and uh, come down and chill out and do what they want to do for a couple of days and, uh, and disappear without anybody knowing. So it's, um, awesome. yeah, it's been good. I've been quite blessed actually. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, mate, I know you recently released an ebook. Uh, you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes, I knew you talked to me about that one. Ebook. Now the ebook is um, it's called the Seven Golden Secrets. I know it sounds a bit cheesy, 
Um, they're like the seven principles that I kind of adhere to myself personally, but as well as that information, uh, I'd love to give out to to anyone and anyone really. It doesn't have to be security orientated. Like, you know, we tapped on earlier on about being away, travel management, being situationally aware, um, the things that we need to make mind of when we're going out with the family, you know, going to a restaurant, going to crowded places, um, all of that kind of stuff, um, dealing with threats, um, assessing threats, how do we confront threats, how do we move away from threats, you know, when you get that gut instinct, it's your body telling you we're in the wrong place, you know, listening to these things, engaging with yourself, and um, just giving those few little tips, it's not a, an information overload, but just seven of those basic principles that I found uh, during my life and during my career, if you like, that um, will just make um, their lives as well as their family lives, their loved ones and their friends just a little bit easier. Yeah, fantastic. And where would, uh, where would one go to find that? Uh, now you can find that link on my website. Thank you for the plug, Troy. That's www.redphoenixsecurity.com. Yep. If you go onto the website, you scroll down to the bottom and you'll see it underneath there. There's a segment called the Elite Bodyguard, which I've called it. And there's a link there to the actual ebook. Um, enjoy. Let me know what you think. And hopefully it can help you as well as your friends, your family, and your loved ones. Yeah, beautiful. And if uh, anyone wants to get in touch with you, mate, how the hell do they go about doing that? They can do the same thing through the website. My contact details are on there. Be happy to talk. Be happy to give any advice. And, um, yeah, just come and say good day if you've got nothing else better to do. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, mate. I think uh, that's probably enough for one day. What do you reckon? Perfect, man. Yeah, that was fantastic. awesome. Hopefully that went all right. Yeah, Hopefully no, that went all right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, mate, you're a consummate professional. Um, uh, look, I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, I know that... Uh, oh, feelings mutual, buddy. Yeah, thanks. Feelings mate. mutual, mate. Yeah. I know that uh, those guys that have been listening to this will, uh, will definitely enjoy hearing uh, everything that you've got to say, uh, whether it be from martial arts through the security industry um, and uh, particularly the, the, the insight into the stunt acting, acting world. So thanks again, mate. I really appreciate it. Oh, brilliant, mate. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Troy. And uh, hey, we'll catch up for a beer sometime soon, eh? Thanks very much, mate. Good on you. All the best, bro. See you, Troy. You've been listening to the Wheels Up podcast with Troy Clayton. For more information, show notes, resources, and subscription options, visit wheelsuppodcast.net. Wheels Up is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network. Until next time, safe travels.